Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Hello Rank Squad and welcome to a day late but a very special edition of Ranks FC and whether you call it Euro 2020 or Euro 21 all we can say is group stages Romeo done. My name is Jack Collins and I'll be your host this evening we're coming at you live and direct straight after the Portugal France and Germany Hungary games ended so please do forgive us for being a little bit breathless and joining me is the Rank God Mr Sam Tsai. SLA, mate, how are you? Yeah, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm catching my breath again slowly. Mm, yeah, um, that was interesting, a, wasn't it? Yeah, it's been a stressful evening with uh, with Lucinia. Uh, obviously, with Portugal <laughs> going in and out of this competition, like nobody's business over the last hour. So um, it's been stressful, but we've had a good time. And, and of course, our transfer guru, Mr. Dean Jones. How you doing, mate? I'm boogie woogie in, mate. How are you doing? I'm okay, mate. I'm okay. I, I, I imagine I was looking at a tweet earlier that said a timeline of England's round of 16 opponents Germany, 8 p.m., Portugal, 8 11, France, 8 30, Portugal, 8 45, Hungary, 9 02, Portugal, 9 15, Germany, 9 21, Portugal, 9 23, Germany, 9 39. And after that, we're all back where we started. And all I could think of was poor old Dean. <laughs> yes. Got complicated. I'm not sure that's right, actually. I think we had Hungary a bit later than that. But um, <laughs> shut up. I really wanted Hungary. I was trying to figure out a way. I was like, what, what permutation is it that I need so that Portugal don't go out and we face Hungary? I was like, give me that. That's there wasn't, what I want. There wasn't a permutation. It didn't no, there exist. No, there was at one point. Yeah, no, we were, it didn't. No, that we had it at one point. We needed one more goal somewhere, and then it just disappeared because France. We were waiting for a, we were waiting for France to go ahead against Portugal, and Hungary were beating Germany. If, France if that would have stayed, Portu- if France beat Portugal and Hungary beat Germany, uh, Portugal went out. Yeah, Portugal were out. Only, at that, stage. that was the only permutation in which Portugal went out. There was no permutation in which Hungary came second. That Portugal didn't go out. So um, I spent 20 minutes hoping for something that couldn't happen. Yeah, yeah. I'm not quite sure you, you were on. Um, but, uh, but but I think it's been that kind of night, hasn't it? In fact, we saw 18 goals across four games today. It's been, considering how dull yesterday was in so many ways, I think it was like they were like, here, have all the goals. Have them all in one big go. It felt like Europa League night. Um, <laughs> and there's nothing I love more, as you can tell, apart from the Nations League, than Europa League night. Um, but look, lads, today we're going to do our best to rank the 16 qualified teams based on their performance in the group stages. We're also going to rank our biggest disappointments uh, and we're going to talk about a a tie each that we're really looking forward to in this round of 16. So I think there's a fair bit to get through. I I think we should probably get on with it. We should, mate. Yeah, it's nearly 11pm. Dean's very tired. So let's let's Mm. crack on, shall we? Um, So yeah, as Jack says, we're taking a look back for now. We're not looking forward. We're not necessarily anticipating yet. So this is a ranking of, of how I judge the teams, how I would grade these teams based on their three games um we're not we're not sort of anticipating we're not looking at the bracket we're not saying you know you're going third because i think you can win it this is just what we know what we've seen and then we'll get to we'll start to project after this we'll close the chapter after this um so we've, we've taken the 16 teams and in 16th i'm gonna put wales who i did not think were very good for most of the tournament so far mm. um i thought they were really poor in the first game and got very lucky to to draw against switzerland 
Um, they turned up against Turkey and got the three points. That's what they needed to do. And then they got absolutely hammered by Italy and, and the scoreline was really kind on them. So, um, yeah, Wales for me were, were definitely going to be in last place. And I think the uh, there's a couple of teams that, that didn't qualify who I thought actually played better over three games than maybe Wales did. Um, I'll keep going quickly. I'll do the next two. Ukraine in 15th. Not so good. I mean, look, they... Is it t- tough one against the Dutch where they come back into it two two and then and then lose it three two in the opener? Um, then they get the win they need. But I'm just so disappointed by that f- that third game, that performance yeah, they needed absolutely. against Austria, where they needed to show up and they needed to do something to to make sure it was in their own hands. They only needed they, a point. It wasn't like they needed loads. They were absolutely awful, and that was a real disappointment. However, group stage is done now. They get a chance to uh, they get a chance to wipe that slate and uh, and head on into the knockouts. They're, they're they're a little bit lucky to be here. Even in the context of a third-place qualifier, they're a little bit lucky to even have one of these spots. So let's put that to use. Let's take advantage. And then Czech Republic come in here at 14th. Um, I'm convinced the Czechs have got a little bit lucky at points and they're not necessarily the strongest team here. I think, obviously, there's not going to be many arguing they should be in the top 10 or anything like that. But, um, yeah, they've had uh, they've had a couple of things go their way. Um, they've been second best in, in at least two of their games. And... I'm not necessarily sure that they're going to be making it too far, but hmm, yeah, they haven't convinced me. They haven't even been a massive threat from set pieces, which was, I thought, for the one thing they definitely would be, you know? Yeah, I mean, there was a there was a bit of chat after they obviously got the win over Scotland in the draw against Croatia that basically saw them through. They were like, oh, are they the new dark horses? And I think the overwhelming feeling was not really no you know they got they got a bit of a weird penalty against against croatia where everything sort of went a bit strange for a little while it was it was one of those sort of glitch in the matrix moments i think uh, they got a two brilliant but brilliant well I mean, there's no there's no but actually two brilliant goals against scotland in which they were probably the weaker team um and and that's what what saw them through now obviously you have to give credit when brilliant goals are scored but there is an element of if you played that game 10 times with the Czechs, lose it eight of them. I, I think so. Um, and, and and there's that's always something that you've got to consider, I think. Yeah, maybe. I mean, look, the, we're ranking 16 teams here. 10 of them are like some of the best teams in the world. And so if the Czechs aren't so convincing, then fair enough. It's it's kind of par for the course, I guess. I think you've probably been a little bit harsh on Wales, if I'm honest. You think? I'm not just saying that because I've got a Welsh name. Um <laughs> I think their game against Turkey was literally one of the best performances they've ever produced in their history. And it probably deserves a bit more respect. I don't don't know if Ukraine and the Czechs have produced a performance that was as good as that. I think you're right. I think that's probably why I would have them not the worst team. I think Wales have actually done all right, to be honest. I think I'd probably have them 14th, maybe even 13th. I thought they were really poor against Switzerland, Sam, but I don't think anyone else has put as convincing a performance as they put in against Turkey. You know, I mean, look, we're going to talk about Turkey later because I've already mentioned we're going to do disappointments. But um, I don't think that anyone's put in as convincing a performance as Wales did that day. That that might be true. What ultimately struck them to the bottom of the list for me was um, the one win that they did get, the one time they did show up, and it, it was still a 60-minute performance rather than a 90, and they had a bit of a wobble at the end. It was against the team that I would rank 24th in this list. That's yeah. that's that's probably where mm-hmm. I ended up with it. Yeah, I think that's probably fair enough. Um, I'm, I'm interested as to where you go next. All right, 13th, Switzerland. 
Uh, everything we thought about Switzerland is true. They're pretty functional. They're pretty solid. Their striker is awful. That means that they have a glass ceiling over their heads and this is where they are. They've they've qualified from a group in which they've done okay. Shakiri's come up with some goods, but I think 13th is about right for them. And 12th is Austria. I mean, I didn't necessarily see them figuring this out. Um, they've done very well to problem solve mid-game. When you have a player like David Alaba, it's very, very helpful. But the thing is, up leading into this tournament and for years, Austria have never really been able to get David Alaba into a position of success for the national team. Something clicked during this tournament. It happened. Franco Foda managed to do it. And they've reaped rewards and they're into the knockout stages. I'm very surprised. I think surprised this is low, mate. I think this is low. I think, I think Austria have probably been more convincing than both Croatia and Spain for me. Oh, my God. So, so Austria's first game against North Macedonia was like a very tightly contested in the balance for 75 yeah, minutes. Agreed. And it needed, a, it needed a moment of quality to, to crack it open. That was a very tight game against North Macedonia. Very tight game. Then they lost the next one. And obviously, we talked about the fact that they've, they've beaten Ukraine in, in the one they needed to win. And they did turn up to that. But we're also super disappointed in, in Ukraine for really not turning up to that. So I don't I don't really feel comfortable putting them any higher. Mm, I, I just, just think the Croats have been really poor. Um, I've got Croatia next in 11th, if that helps. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it does help a little bit. But I, I do think that... Like you say, there's been there's been some convincing performances and some unconvincing, and and most of the teams you've got down here at the bottom have kind of pipped through with very few convincing moments, right? That's where we've got to. I think Austria's performance against Ukraine was very convincing. It felt like they were in control of the game for the entire time. They they managed it beautifully. They they turned up that that performance. I think from Alaba basically shutting Yarmolenko out of the game and then kicking onwards. Um, you know, and, and being able to affect play at both ends, I thought was was excellent. And when you put that into account against someone like the Croats, who I don't think have been convincing, even in that win over Scotland, I think I'd have Austria above them. Do you know what? I'd have I'd have Hungary above all of these teams, and they're out. That's <laughs> that's what I find most annoying about this. I'm still annoyed that tonight, as like an hour ago, Hungary were knocked out of this competition because I was looking through the list, looking at the fixtures for the next round, and I'm like. Hungary should still be in this competition. It shouldn't be best third place teams. It should just be best teams left in the competition beyond the top two because <laughs> Hungary will be like, this is so unfair. We put in three brilliant performances <laughs> and we're out. This will not been put together one. Sam and I discussed this earlier. We were originally going to do this one to 24. Um, and we felt it was a bit strange to be putting teams that have been knocked out yeah. above Hungary seventh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's like, the thing. Well, I was Scotland put, above Wales. I was going to put Scotland above Wales, mate. It would have made him even more angry. <laughs> um, all right. Well, look, Austria 12, Croatia 11. It's tight down at the bottom. You know how it is. You know how it is. But um, I, I accept your point there. I do. Talk to um, me about the Croats. I want to know. What What about them? Well, like, tell me why they're above, why, why they're above Austria. Um, the forward selection they managed to find in that last game actually it actually worked and they fell the we talked about how they weren't particularly threatening against England but that was a really really tight game and I've got England top because it's coming home just kidding just kidding <laughs> just kidding um but they played some they played some some genuinely like really difficult games in here really difficult games um and I know that it's quite hard at times to to measure these performances up and and the the people, the teams from Group F have 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 made this very very difficult because the caliber of the opposition they're playing is so strong, it can make it mm. quite difficult to to level up a little bit. But I took Croatia in eleventh. I took 
and we're moving to the top 10. This is really tough. There's an asterisk over this team's name for really obvious reasons. And it's Denmark, who they won one game um, and managed to get through. It was a hell of a win. It was a hell of a night. It was a hell of a performance. And we absolutely loved every second of it. And they've become our, our second team. Um, the performance against Finland was was really difficult to watch. Um, and it's very hard to judge because it doesn't feel fair to hold it against them. But they, I have to, right? I mean, I have to judge it. Like they, they lost to Finland in the opener and then they had a really good sort of 45-minute spell against Belgium and were eventually just outclassed by, by Kevin De Bruyne and Eden Hazard. And then they've come back and saved the day. So I've put them down in 10th, but I'm, no, I'm just, I've put a question mark, an asterisk, uh, all sorts next to it because they felt impossible to judge fairly, I would say. Yeah, I mean, anyone who listened to our Tuesday podcast on Patreon this week will have heard us waxing lyrical about what happened on Monday night in Copenhagen and, and, and how Denmark were just it felt like a force that could never be overturned. It felt like destiny, fate, whatever you want to call it. They felt like they had the weight of you know, history on their side and everything that they did felt imbued with a sense of purpose. And it was just majestic in pretty much every sense, how they managed to, to pull that out of the bag, how things switched out of their favor for a, for a minute. You know, everyone thought that Belgium had scored the first goal against Finland. It got ruled out. We came back to that game. Russia had a penalty. It was suddenly like, oh no, it's all going wrong. The fairy tale starting to hit a bump. And then to rise back above that again and, and send it into raptures, I think was, was the most incredible thing, the most incredible story. And everything it was, it was what everything you love about watching football, right? It's everything you love about, Things, but I completely appreciate that you're putting this in a group stage performance. They've put in 135 to 150 very convincing minutes. Um, that probably does stand in their favour, I would suggest. Yeah, maybe, maybe. We also have to consider that like the crowd for that game when they when it all came together, like it was unbelievable, wasn't it? It was like everybody was going mental. For the and it was just like there was no they're just not going to stop scoring like when you're when you're riding a wave like this it was like it just kept it was like goals are just flying in and you're just like like damn's God's goal that started it was like what a goal and like you see the fans start going mental at that point and you're just like yeah like everyone this is just this is occasion is just for Christian Eriksen and everyone is here for it like. Even some Russians, I think, were here for this. Um, <laughs> it was just an unbelievable feeling. And it it was the first time we've really been able to see this Denmark team for what they are, which is actually a really, really good international team full of players with a lot of experience at good clubs. I mean, you just go through their lineups and you've got players from all over the place. Like, you know, there's Premier League players, there's La Liga players and like at top clubs as well. And we said coming into the tournament, like keep an eye on them because like Dark Horse seemed a bit strong going in, but like maybe not because there's so much, there's so much quality there, especially when we thought they had Ericsson. And if they did have Ericsson right now, like you would really be fancying them to, to be fair. When you see how the draws opened up to go quite deep. You can't you, you can't be calling someone who's won at all this tournament a dark horse. <laughs> like, you know, that's that, it that's was 1992. 
Mate, England won the World Cup once in 1966, and no one's shut up about it since. So, uh, <laughs> so I don't know if you can you can call yeah, it. That was us a dark horse, mate. <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't know. Some yeah. people. We're not even called were... dark horses. No one's <laughs> ever called us a dark horse. Not called horses. Never mind dark horses. Um, <laughs> but it's um, no. I would say though, Sam, just in terms of the football and going back to that minutes point, right? 135, 150 odd minutes where they've been convincing against. Yeah, Russia were poor, sure, but against a Belgium side for, for 60 minutes, who we can consider one of the favorites i would argue that denmark have put in more convincing minutes even with the asterisk than germany have i said germany in ninth you keep doing this jack (laughs) have you seen my list i haven't but i'm just are you behind me oh my god it's It's like like you're watching the same games yeah the um the uh look i guess so i consider i did consider the the kind of the 45 minutes against belgium the team the caliber of belgium but then you have to remember as well that like once Belgium brought on their proper players, they absolutely battered them. Um, so I don't know if you want to hold that against them or not. I don't know. Um, this process was quite muddled in the middle. This, mm. the, the middle bit's the hardest bit by far when you rank these things. You've got a really good idea of what one to three is. You know who the rubbish are. But ninth and tenth, separating them is tough. But I went for Denmark in ten. I went for Germany in nine, who needed a very late goal from Leon Goretzka to get them into this position. Um, although I'll give them a lot of credit because I really didn't see them coming second or first in this group no way absolutely no way and at a certain point tonight they were actually bottom and they were out um and that was, i didn't that think they been... were coming back tonight i thought I, I thought when it went one all i was like okay they'll be okay now as soon as they conceded again straight away i was like they've thrown it away they've, they've world cup 2018 did again they have literally looked at this and gone oh no we're not doing this we, we haven't got it in us and so to actually pull that out of the bag scrappy and messy and difficult as it may have been to actually actually find that level and get that goal, I think is incredibly impressive in some ways. Yes. And the most impressive part about the the three game campaign, which obviously we we take a look at every game for each team is, you know, they absolutely hammered Portugal and you are well within your rights to question just how good Portugal are right now. And some revision may be taking place on that. And I think that's completely fair enough after what we've seen in the groups. Although again, Group F has skewed a lot of it because the calibre of the opposition is so high and the only one that isn't an elite football team had the only full stadium in the tournament. So it's really hard to figure out what's what in this scenario. But the fact that they absolutely harpooned Portugal was a real eye-opener. And I think it deserves some respect at least. And a ninth doesn't sound very high, but like ninth is actually an achievement here, considering. Yeah, I feel I like so. Portugal played so open and... Allowed so much space for Germany to exploit, and it didn't make any sense. And you look at the game against Hungary that we've just watched, and they didn't do that at all. And Germany struggled straight away because that's you know there was no space in behind. They couldn't get and find any holes to to like create from. And I just like why did Portugal even play like that? It didn't really make any sense at all. And and, and they've just played France tonight and they didn't play like that. So why what no. the hell are they doing? I don't know. I mean maybe this is just the power of you know Kimmich switchball to Gerson's and a team just woefully unprepared for it. And it was just one of those very simple tactical victories that occasionally just kind of happen. Yeah. But you back Portugal who took the lead to sink in and protect the space better. You back them to have more bite in midfield, which we saw to Tonight against France, particularly with with Renato Sanchez, like really, really hammering away at midfield and not get not letting players dictate possession like that. Um, it was all very weird, all very, very weird indeed. I mean, this is what tournament football does, isn't it? It produces mm. these crazy games. Yeah, I think it's about right for Germany. Say ninth, we're at ninth. nine, right? 
Yeah, I think it's about right because I, I genuinely don't think they're that good. I really don't. I think I think there are just so many players that just aren't that impressive in their positions. And I will we'll get on to speaking to about the next the next round later. But I, I'm just like, who's really playing well right now? Like apart from Gosens, it's like everybody's been talking about. But I'm like Havertz. Obviously, we we talked about that before. Yeah. Um, Kimmy's doing well. Kimmy's doing well. Sally's been terrible. Sally has um, Tony been Tony Cross wasn't good. Gundawan was not the same player we've been seeing at all. Um, the system doesn't. Hummels suit and Ginter at all. got in all sorts of trouble. Um, I just, I don't know. I just don't. I just look at that team and I'm just like, I'm just not convinced by it at all. No. Yeah, it's it's a really odd one. I mean, there was a moment tonight where Leroy Sane went clean through on in about the 92nd minute and. There's it was three awful. players streaming into the box and Germany winning this top. They topped the group, right? Yeah. With the results going the other way as they did, Germany would have topped the group and avoided England and instead drawn Switzerland. That would have been absolutely phenomenal for them, surely. And instead, Leroy Sané, instead of just sliding it across for one of the three players to tap in, yeah. he blazes it into the opposite stand. And it's one of the weirdest things, and it completely summed up his performance tonight. I thought he was absolutely dreadful. Um, and and I don't think we'll see Leroy Sane again start for Germany. I hope we do. Go on, one more. I hope we do. <laughs> one more. Go on. The one, the one thing that Germany are doing is they're playing a bad game, then a good game, then a bad game, then... So I don't know to put anyone's... Where Uh-oh. is that? It's... Move on. Sam, what's number eight? <laughs> Quick, move on. Okay, number eight. It's Portugal. What to make of this lot? Good grief. I mean... They won 3 0 against Hungary, but the scoreline is deceptive. They got absolutely battered by Germany. But then going toe to toe with France this evening has absolutely saved them in the rankings. And I've already talked about how Group F has skewed everything and it's been very, very difficult. But we've seen enough bits of Portugal here to be, I think, probably relatively, relatively positive about them in some sets. In, in, in some instances, the, the, the negatives are, are, are very clear. That's why they're not even troubling the top five. And this is a team that. Like I picked to win the tournament. They're like the third favorites in the odds before the tournament, like all that stuff. Um, but it, they're a really weird one. Like they're bang in the middle of this ranking. And I don't, that wasn't by design, but it feels right because they're just like pretty good, but pretty bad, but okay. And it's very hard to figure out who the real Portugal are. Well, it's, it's, it's an odd one because the Portugal we saw tonight were excellent at points also a bit terrifying at points they opened up lows and then they closed up shop again and they went really really low blocky for the last kind of 20 odd minutes or so um once they'd got the equalizer which which made sense obviously but they did kind of stifle france after they let the game open out a bit yeah they Um, did well it was like griezmann fired one over from 20 yards and that was about it really yeah, so it, it was it was a good performance, I thought, from Portugal tonight, and especially to come back, because when France go 2-1 up in that game, you're like, hmm, could be in trouble. Now, I know they get a little bit of luck with the ball bouncing up and hitting Koundé on the arm. It is, is a penalty, I think. But it's it's a strange one in terms of that that can kind of happen to anyone. But for them to go out and, 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 and claw themselves back in against a France side that we've really talked about on this pod, you know, uh, as being very difficult to get back at when they go ahead... I thought was impressive and it's a really weird one here because you know you look at the matchups I know we're not kicking forward at this point but it does feel like one that they they might look at it up yeah why not um and and it's all just very strange and it feels weird to put them above the team they finished below in the group and who beat them um but in my head it makes plenty sense because Portugal played well for two full games um and 
didn't play and played abysmally in the other, I'll be honest. But it just all felt a bit odd. It all felt a bit disjointed. And you don't often think that about Portugal, although you can say that in the last group stages in the in the tournament they won, they drew all <laughs> three games and didn't didn't have an identity at all. So so perhaps this is just what they do now. There's obviously Ronaldo and having five goals um already is is quite handy. I mean, three penalties, by the way. That's handy. Loves um, a pen. Loves a pen. Good penalties, all of them. Um Oh, the second one that he's just scored in that game, like the composure that he scored and the way he executed it was, I just loved it. Like that's a proper professional, like any kid just like watch Ronaldo in moments like that, because I wish it, I wish there was somebody in England that could just teach people how to take penalties like this, because it's, it's just unbelievable. Taylor was like, Oh, he reminds me of Tom Brady. I don't know if Taylor knows anything about Tom Brady, but I was like, (laughs) But there is that, like, obviously elitism, isn't there? And there's just so few people that in moments like that, you just trust implicitly to pull off a skill. And it was brilliant. Yeah, I think England should get Owen Hargreaves coaching them on how to take penalties. That kid was unbelievable. He was, yeah, but he's basically German. That's why. (laughs) (laughs) So, Jack, I didn't even even notice when I'd done it, but you've just made it clear that I've put Portugal in eighth and Germany in ninth. And Germany mm. finished above Portugal and beat Portugal. So can we just quickly go over that because it has been a funny night and just make sure we are a hundred percent happy with that. I mean, you it's, not, it's, it's not me, mate. It's you. It's your ranking. No, I like, know that, but I'm obviously yeah. Portugal are definitely better than Germany, and they have been. Okay, but they weren't. There's no they doubt. Weren't I'll tell you. I'll tell you what sums it up more than anything. All of my English mates in my WhatsApp group, everyone's like, really hope we get Germany in the next round and not Portugal everybody wanted Germany and it's not very often that that's the case. That's true. Mine was the same. And Portugal yeah. feels set up to counter England though, don't they? they? Do. That's, that's and, part of that. And, yeah. and weirdly, but, and but Germany do back. feel very fragile. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. A hundred percent. Germany feel like they probably have a, a higher kind of rocket rate. I think that if Germany hit their, their stride, they probably have more, you'd expect them more to, to go and whack a few goals in, whereas Portugal, you're expecting them to score a maximum of two. You know, obviously that hungry game aside where they scored them all in the last five minutes. Um, you, you don't expect Portugal to be going and, you know, and blitzing teams. If Portugal played England, the score is probably going to be 1-0. So one of the sides, but it's probably going to be 1-0. And whereas with Germany, you could be like, oh, this could end 5-3. Um, and, and that's probably better for England at this point because sure. they're more set up to, to go toe-to-toe with a team like that. That's true. Well, listen, um, one of our patrons, Joel, has been complaining all day in the Discord that the disrespect for Germany has been off the charts. Um, at least three people in our Discord genuinely predicted Hungary to just outright beat Germany and Joel couldn't believe it. To be fair, to be fair to those they people, weren't miles off, were they? They were really, really close. But this is more fuel for the fire and Joel will be very, very disappointed. Anyway, we move to seven. Interestingly, I have put Sweden, who mm. I think have had a... Well, a fantastic, a fantastic group stage in which they've they've topped a group that includes Spain, and they look like an absolute bugger to play against. Absolute bugger! I like, can't believe you've put them below Spain. I cannot believe you've done. I it. can. I can. I agree with this. Go on, can, Sam. Yeah. What, what, why not, Jack? Because well, one, as we discussed, they topped the group. Yeah. Well, um, Germany, Portugal. Yeah, but also <laughs> I feel like Sweden have been very, very convincing in pretty much everything they've done. Like, I, I feel like when I watch the Sweden side play, I'm like, they're going to win this. Like, a lot of the time. And well, they haven't been that convincing. They won 1-0 with a penalty 
and they won three two with a ninety fourth minute goal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in a game so that, that they didn't, in a game that they didn't need to win though. Um, you know, it was about not losing that game in 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 so many ways. So so yes, but I just feel like Sweden are. Sweden are kryptonite. I feel like Sweden are going to be a real, real menace for big teams in this tournament. And whoever wins that England-Germany game, you're hoping Ukraine knock them out because Ukraine are a much, much less dangerous proposition than this Swedish side. Why is it not going to Sweden for a dark horse? Um, we, we did talk about them as being like potentially very well drilled. What we said is they'll probably get to the quarterfinals and get knocked out, which is still, to be fair, <laughs> probably the most likely scenario. So I don't Absolutely. think it's too. I don't think it's too roguish. I think Absolutely. the main talking point was to Seb Larsson still play for them, and we were like, "Yep." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and yeah, Henrik yeah. Larsson's son Jordan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, last. I mean, sorry. Uh, yeah, Seb Larsson has played a lot of minutes. A lot yes, of it yeah. because of Kudaseski's uh, COVID test. He's actually yeah. much. More I really didn't expect to see them this much. Than he bar- he bargained for, but now Sweden feel like a real a real obstacle. They do. Um, they feel really rough. Um, you've got me dousing it now. No, Jack. No, they're seventh. They're seventh. They are rightfully in the top eight for having a very solid, very solid group stage. Yeah. I don't think they ever showed any ability to blow anybody away or convincingly batter somebody, mm. which to be fair, I think most all of my top five have done or have shown have threatened to do. That's what keeps them slightly out. Um, but utmost respect to Sweden, to Isak and to uh to Kuliseski and, and the cent and the centre backs as well, like Victor Lindelof and and those guys are very solid team. I don't want to play them. I, I think they're like the sort of team that, as you said, Jack, kind of kryptonite, but they absolutely destroy your system. They take it apart, uh, and because you don't know, you don't know how to get around it. It's so difficult. The only reason Poland scored a couple of goals is because Lewandowski started his own finishing competition. Yeah, no, I, I think that's fair. Like, the only thing I would add about Sweden, this is potentially not valid for this ranking because it it doesn't really affect the group stages that we've just seen, is that we haven't seen. Isaac and Kulisevsky together for more than 15 minutes yet. And I think mm. that that could be absolutely dangerous. I like it. Yeah. I also want to see, I want to see Isaac Kaison and Kulisevsky. Can we just get Marcus Berg and just put him aside and just put him with Harris Seferovic and have them play in the crash for a so little hang bit? On. It's, and... a, it's a Forsberg, <laughs> Forsberg, Kaison, Isaac, Kulisevsky front four. Yeah. I think that works really nicely. Well, there we have it. Let's four go. Four Sweden are winning this thing. Sweden are going to win the Euros. <laughs> I can't believe we've figured it out. Sweden are winning the Euros. Um, but, but they're only seventh. Uh, they're only seventh. Anyway, into six. This is where I have put the three lines. I've put England. Hmm. Now, we've had our concerns over England, obviously. Um, we've been a bit cautious. However, it's very difficult to ignore the fact that international football is pretty cagey. It can be defence first. It is about not making mistakes. It's a bit slower. The tactical templates are much more basic. And we have not conceded a goal. Um, we are unbeaten. And I'm not getting carried away, obviously. They're not even in the top five. I do think some of the criticism is a little bit over the top. And this is this is a group stage that you can be pretty pleased with. We won we won the first game for the first time ever. Um, the Scotland game was was a fierce rivalry in which we found it very, very difficult. But it's one of those great levelers in sport, isn't it? That kind of passion and energy. And then we beat the Czechs without really breaking that much of a, a sweat, to be honest with you, I thought. So um, sort of quietly happy with England. And has anybody ever hit the post in every game they've played in the group stage before <laughs> us? 
Uh, I think Wes Houlihan hit the bar 15 times in the group stage in 2012. So I would, I would ignore it. I was about to say, like, obviously the shots on target are the concern, that the, the low shots on target, the low goal threat, not taking a shot for 65 minutes. But I also feel like there's another side to that statistic. And in every game we've hit, we've hit the woodwork and it could have been a little bit different there. Luckily, it hasn't, it hasn't cost us. But As a neutral, I think England are low. I think you put England low here. I would have England above Spain. And I would yeah. have, the hey, thing is, you though, Spain? You've, got, you've got Slovakia above Spain. I've got Spain where you have Sweden. And then I've got Sweden above them and England above that in fifth, I think. And even that, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of weighing up because I still think <laughs> that England might have had a better... England might have been more convincing than the Netherlands still, um, just in the way, in the manner that they've gone about their business. I, I think you nailed it before. You, you made the point and then you went against it in that... I think the the way that England are playing football, it's not fun, it's not pretty, it's not actually particularly enjoyable, but it wins tournaments. Like the England are England are doing a Portugal. England are playing yeah, are. rubbish football that's really unenjoyable to watch. It's stodgy, it's hard to break down, and they're winning. They're going to win every game one nil, or they'll go to an extra time. Or you know, the only thing that England might not have in the locker that Portugal had was penalty shootouts. Um, but I, I think England are as convincing as almost anyone they, they've been very very good as far as i've been concerned oh are you are you feeling this dean he's lying he's just trying to wind us up um yeah. I, i'm really not like, no, I, I don't I, trust you i, I no, think it's fine i wouldn't um, trust me but i'm not winding you up here yeah I, I just think it's really difficult to gauge and, it, and the problem is obviously when it's your nation like you, you have emotion attached to it and you want to see certain things like of course, like we want to see more attacking players and Southgate, to be honest, it, he's brought too many. He's brought too many attackers because he can't keep them all happy. And, um, you know, if Jaden Sancho is only getting like 10 minutes in the, the third group game, you're kind of assuming that that's his lot now because where el- when else is he going to play if that's is that's all he was if that's all he was brought in for um i'm pretty sure gareth southgate only found out his name isn't jason sancho today <laughs> <laughs> but it's look england's two friendlies going into this tournament we beat austria 1-0 we beat romania 1-0 we beat croatia 1-0 we drawn in scotland 0-0 we've beaten czech republic 1-0 yeah I mean, that's where we're at, isn't it? This is this is England. This is this is what we've got now. We might have the best seven forwards we've ever had taken to any tournament ever, but ultimately it doesn't matter because we're only looking for one goal and then we're going to shut up shop. Well, yeah, you're right because against the Czechs we scored one and then we actively decided not to it shoot. Was so it, and that was kind of so frustrating because and it's happened actually in every game so far. England have been great for about 15 to 20 minutes. The first game, I blamed it on the fact it was too hot. The second game, I was like, well, it's because it was a derby. The third game, I didn't really, couldn't really think of a third reason <laughs> beyond the fact they just were happy to keep it 1-0. I don't know. Um, so, yeah, I think you got them about right, to be honest, because we don't want to be any higher than this <laughs> because we don't want to get our hopes up. <laughs> All right, fine. Well, that's where they are. And into five, and this is where I have put Spain. Mm. Now, I am on record as thinking that a fair, a, a, a decent wedge of the criticism of Spain is a little bit overblown. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's some pretty wild finishing swaying away from probably just topping this 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 group with uh with nine points i mean they're never a maratta not being rubbish away from topping this group with nine points yeah and i look we're judging we're judging performances um as much 
if not more than results. And that's that's become clear as we've come through with Spain ranking fifth and Sweden seventh and obviously uh, Portugal eight and Germany nine. We're reading into the performances. How convincing was it? And the, the first game against Sweden, that was a bit that was a bit suspect at the back. Uh, Isak and, and, and Marcus Berg caused some problems. But Spain's template for playing largely removed the option for other teams to play football. And that in tournament football is a pretty powerful tool. And tonight we've watched them play Slovakia and hammer them, absolutely hammer them. And that result was coming. It was, I think it was coming. And the kind of points tally and hadn't really matched up to the, to the performances up till that point. And feels apparently all the goals come in one go. Um, I don't know why, but it is, it is what it is. Um, but Spain feel really, really hard to play against and to beat. Mm. And that's that's powerful. That's that's powerful to in the same way that it is for England. But I think Spain would be able to pull that off against more opponents than England would. The reason it was coming is because they create so many chances and yeah. everybody criticises the misses. But there's such a fine line in it. And like... I remember there was one, might have been the first game when Morata sent one wide of the far post and like everyone was like, oh, Morata should be scoring that and blah, blah, blah. It's like, it's like a yard wide. And if that goes in, the whole tone is completely different. And that carried on a bit. But Spain, they're having like at least 10 shots a game. And that's a, that's pretty good. And they're having like, I think in the middle game, there's something like 16, 17 shots on goal. And in this game, it was just that, the chances, the way that they were carved open, um, the, the fact that they got the breakthrough, obviously, I mean, it was a ridiculous goal, the first goal against Slovakia. And oh what, how Dubravka, it's, it's time for Melon of the Week. <laughs> this week's Melon of the Week is Dubravka. Um, <laughs> it was unreal. Like You won't see that ever again in an international tournament. Um, Marek Rodak a- would never... It did him a favour, though, you know, and that because Laporte added a second one just before half time, and they could breathe in the second half, and that and that pressure's gone, and then you know the other, you know, Serbia can start to do his thing, and you know Ferran comes off the bench and can get involved, and it's like all these guys that you want to just feel relaxed do relax, and like so they win five nil. Morata and Moreno don't score. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. I don't think Spain are relying on those two guys scoring because there are so many others that can do that, like we've said a million times. Yeah, no, I I do think it would have been useful for them to have got one of their number nines on the score sheet. Mm. Um, Now, whether they end up playing Ferran through the middle next game, I don't know. Um, But... I think it would have been just a boost of confidence. What was really nice, actually, from from that game, though, was the round of applause. Well, the the absolute adulation that Morata got coming off. I don't know if you you saw it, but he got a standing ovation from the the crowd in Seville, which was pretty cool, given he's been a little bit under the cosh, right? And he's had a tough day at the office. He's missed a penalty. Now, it's obviously easy to do that 3-0 up. Mm. It, it, it's it's much easier to do that than than if you're nil nil and you're booing. They booed them off in the second game, didn't they? But for him to get that, I suppose is is probably a good thing. It's also yeah. a much better idea than booing because yeah. <laughs> it's definitely <laughs> going to help him, you know. And there's more chance that he's going to want to do better in the next game than if he's booed off the pitch. Um, as Englishmen, we know this because we've seen it <laughs> at every tournament our team has ever played at, and they are booed off. Um, I think it's a great idea to cheer your own players, especially if they've been having a hard time. <laughs> um, but, new, yeah. new age tactic 
Thanks from Dean Jones. Yeah. There you go. Dean's Dean's good tactics for crowds. It's a it's a, it's a yeah. real, real cheer your own players. Yeah. yeah nice. No, no one's ever done changer. it. Game changer. Um, all right. So that's the start of the top five. Spain are in fifth. Uh, we move to fourth, and this is where I have put France. Mm. Ooh. Yeah. No, I think. I guess you are basing fair. it on the games we've seen. Yeah. Yeah, and I think like. So the, the Portugal game was was a 50-50. It was a bit of a, a, a bit of a coin flip, very well battled out, two very good teams um just going at each other. And that was great to see. So not that the fact that they didn't win a game is not it's not like this game is not being counted against them. But and, and, and at the same time, I'm I'm trying not to too hard not to punish them for the Hungary result because if we've just talked about with Spain, the wild variance in finishing in such a small sample size of games are just three games can vary so greatly and can change things. And France played very well in that game and they ripped Hungary apart. Pavard had a nightmare because he was concussed and he conceded a goal, right? That's what happened at one end. And then at the other end, Benzema missed a lot of chances and Bappe skewed a load wide, Pogba missed one. And nine times out of 10, to borrow your phraseology, Jack, France win that game. So if we're looking at underlying performances, are we convinced? I'd say we probably are. I'd say we probably are. And that opening statement against Germany where they were a fraction away from winning 3-0, stood defensively strong, released Mbappe on the counter. It looked like a really frightening template. So I think France, despite the results not necessarily going as we expected, I think five points feels low for France. I think that they're good for a top four place here. I think I am convinced by France's quality, even if it hasn't quite borne out in those results. Yeah, I think this is spot on. Um, I think you're... You're right. And and if anything, maybe one spot, I would say, too low, because I mm. think they have been really good. I, I thought they were really good against Germany. I thought they were really good against Hungary, even if it didn't go in. Um, and then tonight, I, tonight, I thought was their weakest performance. But you kind of caveat that with the fact that well, they're out of fullbacks. Played, yeah, played played right back. Like Adrian Rabio played left back for a large part of the second half. It, it, it did really feel like a little bit thrown together. Mm. And and I guess when you're looking at that, you, you kind of you think, OK, if they can recover in time for the next round. But, yeah, I suppose we're looking back at the at the group stages and, and, and there is an element of while performances are crucial. And while we're discussing these, these kinds of things holistically, there is an element of result to it, too. Right. There, there is an element of you get the wins or you don't. And twice out of three times, they have failed to get the win that they should have got or would have expected themselves to get as the favorites for this tournament. Yeah, 100%, 100%. I mean, look, what are they going to do at fullback now? Like, Pavard needs to come back from a concussion. Hernandez uh, will be fine. Hernandez, hopefully. Luca Dean looks like he's out for the tournament. Yeah, Luca Dean's out. Mm. Musa Sissoko I mean, can play fullback in a pinch. Musa Sissoko shouldn't be in the squad. Yeah, but he still can play fullback in a pinch. Wait, you can play fullback in a pinch. Doesn't mean you should do it. Yeah, that's true. That's also true. <laughs> yeah. It's a tough one. I mean... The one thing as well about like about France, like they get that penalty, that Mbappe gets that penalty. It's just not a penalty. Not no, a penalty. it's not. No. But you're going to get bit, like Mbappe will win penalties like that, and that that's what that's what they also have in their locker. Like he's so good. Like I know, like he he. <laughs> oh, good. The podcast has turned into Dean talking about Mbappe. Again. But he, the thing is, like this tournament, like he hasn't been talked about that much so far in this tournament because he hasn't um, scored a goal. Because he hasn't scored a goal, but. He's had 
so he's been in such good positions in every single game. Like I'm obviously just watching him and not watching France because that's what I do. <laughs> and like those holes, those gaps he's finding himself on, like just inside the left and like coming inside. And like he's had a head, he's had headers that have drifted just wide. He's had a couple of good chances saved. Um, then he ruled that- out, didn't he? Too yeah. Apple ruled he was out. majestic yeah. against Germany. Absolutely His pace, um, there was the Hungary game and there was a couple of times he bursts in behind the back line. Um, it was actually the one that set up for Griezmann on the, on the equaliser. The pace that he showed to get in behind then. And it's not really been talked about because that wasn't, it was all Griezmann, Griezmann. But it's still Mbappe. And I think that that's why you, France haven't lit up yet, but they're like just there. They're just there. The, the, the performances, like you say, are totally fine. There are just a few factors that have held them back. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. In a, in a in a game of very fine margins, I haven't quite found it yet. But when yeah. you're as good as France are, it doesn't matter because they still top their group and they get. An They're so relaxed, to... aren't they? About it, they yeah. seem so relaxed about it. Yeah, yeah. All right. Absolutely. Who've got above them, mate? So into the top three now, and at number three, it's the Netherlands. I cannot believe we're here but we are we have to we have to give them their credit we wondered if their uh late shift to a 352 was going to work we wondered if playing patrick van arnholt at wing back would be a good idea we wondered all sorts about this team we wondered if frank de boer had completely biffed it or actually turns out he's done exactly the right thing for his team the balance of this team actually looks pretty good that i think they might have an issue against the very big sides later on, particularly in transition. I think there's going to be some big open spaces there to utilise for other teams. However, that doesn't work against them right now because all that's happened so far is they've won their games. Um, they've had home advantage. They've taken care. They've taken advantage of that. Memphis Depay has been very, very good. Frankie de Jong has been unbelievable. Uh, Genie Wijnaldum is one of the top scorers at the tournament um, or was heading into that final day until Ronaldo went on to five, but has been has been brilliant. Denzel Dumfries has been a sensational right wing back. Outrageous. Absolutely amazing. And this system is really working for them. And the first game was a little bit squeaky with Ukraine. They sort of went two up, then they had to, got pulled back to 2-2, had to go and win it again, which they did. And from that point, it's been relatively comfortable for the Dutch. And I'm interested to see what happens for them moving forward. But I have been very impressed and they've won all of their games. Yeah, I completely agree with everything you said, apart from I never had any doubts about Patrick Van Aanholt. PVA Blue <laughs> was always going to be a fantastic left wing back in the system. Yeah, um, I'm sure he was. Yeah, I mean, look, they were going to play Owen van Dahl and Dumfries as, as, as orthodox fullbacks in a back four at one point, or we thought they were, and they just kind of, kind of made this switch to a back three or a back five. And then one of the, the pieces that changed when that happened was Van Aanholt switched in for Van Dahl. We were like, what? What are you doing? But... He's been good. Yeah, they've been really good. And look, we, we said try not to get in, inside the mind of, of Frank de Boer because it is a scary place. But um, but it, he's found something that's working. And and I think maybe importantly for the Dutch, he's found something that lets Daily Blind play his game. Mm. Um, and it's so crucial. That man slides passes like I've never seen. It, there's a there's a there's a case to be made that Daily Blind is one of the best passers in world football. Um, and yep. and I think that getting that into a team that has the big man, little man options for the first two games, obviously the Marlon Memphis partnership in the last game, Lovely. and just allowing them to basically just either go high, go low, put passes through the eye of a needle, and then have sort of 
Frankie and Jeannie Wijnaldum just running around the midfield, just dominating things and, and letting things work out. It, it just all of the balance feels right now. The, yeah. the whole side feels balanced again. And that's something perhaps they were lacking in those warm-up games, just working out exactly where that balance is. As soon as they found it, they've just gone from strength to strength. And, and, and look, Frank De Boer deserves credit. He does, Ready. yeah, he does, he does. Actually, there's a really, really nice piece um, from from Case Van Hemmen, uh, which I'd, I'd implore you to go and have a look at if you can. It's basically detailing how Wout Verhorst is more or less playing as a human distraction. Um, he is pulling so many players towards him and sitting on the last line of the defence. And he brings like, it's like a gravity portal. And every time they cross it into the box, three players try to mark the six foot six target man and they leave everybody else unmarked, including Dumfries running in from the right. I mean, imagine if no one figures this out for the whole tournament, <laughs> they're going to win it. So we'll have to see. I'm very intrigued to see how this team stacks up against a, bit, uh, a much stronger side. And I'm sure that anyone that's Dutch listening to that is probably sick of hearing that over the course of the groups. They're probably sick of hearing people go, yeah, but they, they're not going to cut it against the big sides. Look, there are genuine concerns about how this team defend big spaces, transitions and counters. And I'm very worried about the strain on that defensive line. But that's for another day. They've been sensational. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Who got above them? Belgium. In two. Belgium in second. Mm. Yeah, Belgium. Quite the force. Quite the force. When they fancy it, they will absolutely just tear you apart. And there is a relentlessness to that attack, which is really, really scary. And this is a team that I think probably gets better as the tournament wears on um, and has actually just got better and better as the group stage has worn on, as their key players have come back to fitness. And that we didn't know how Eden Hazard would return, what shape he'd be in. Turns out he looks like he absolutely loves his football, looks very, very good. Kevin De Bruyne is looking unbelievable. Lukaku wants that golden boot, has three goals and is gunning and gunning and gunning. There have been a few squeaky bits in defence at times. Roberto Martinez has already shuffled his pack two or three times to try and take care of that. But when you have such offensive weapons, you are able to just totally and utterly overwhelm teams. It does make things a little bit easier. Same caveats apply to, to Belgium, I guess, as to the Netherlands. Let's see how it works against a bigger team. Can the defence hold up at the other end? But so far, with a couple of, couple of dodgy moments in the first half against Denmark aside, they have been okay. Yeah, also the thing that they managed to do there against Denmark where they were just like, oh, we're a little bit under it here. We're, we're not winning this game. And they were like, oh, we'll just bring Kevin De Bruyne on and he'll just run the game and win it. It feels like Belgium were able to step up at will. Mm. Uh, and, and that is such a skill at this level. And it just feels like they can go through the gears at such ease. Um, and there's moments happening. I was watching, you know, the, the goal against Finland that gets given and it actually, it comes off the keeper, it hits someone, it comes off the line, obviously it's given as a goal. But the finish that Dedrick Boyata then provides, he like absolutely arrows it into the top left-hand corner of the net. And I'm like, hang on, what? <laughs> like, wait, what's going on here? Why, why are these things happening in a way that I, you could never expect? I just feel like Belgium are starting to purr and... And, and on that note, they just feel like in these group stages, they've really kicked onwards. Yeah, I got a bit, I got a little bit scared of them on that, on that third game because they had that goal ruled out against Finland, which was a very, very tight VAR offside, very tight when Lukaku went through mm. and, and scored. And it was like, come on, guys, are you really going to agree with it? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I didn't, really didn't like that at all. A lot of teams in that scenario go, oh my God, it's not our day. Lukaku just went, fine, I'll score another one. He literally did. You could almost see it in his face, couldn't you? It yeah. was like 
he was annoyed. He was annoyed. He was like, that wasn't, that should have counted. I'll get another one in a minute, but that should have counted. <laughs> it's like how you act a five aside when you know you're going to score in a minute anyway, so it doesn't matter. But it's like, I don't know, though, this thing about Belgium getting better as the tournament wears on. This, My big concern about Belgium is like, we knew that they had any, a, a group where they could tear teams apart. And that's why... I tip Lukaku for the gold boot because I thought he'd actually get more goals than he has got, but he maybe should have. But um, yeah. now they've got a pretty tough path and they really are going to be tested. And this is where we find out where, what they really are made of, right? They've they've answered everything they could of so far. Like, can't can't really argue with that. Even when they've gone behind, they've pulled something together and they've, they've gone and won. Can they go and do it? I mean, yeah, of course they can. What I'm looking at, though, is that that connection between De Bruyne and Lukaku is just insane. Yeah, it's mad. And they had it's, a great celebration. Everyone's having a good time. I do love it, yeah. But like when you've been playing together, I guess, for as long as they have been, obviously you're going to have a connection. But it's quite rare in international football, I guess, that it lasts as long as it has. Mm-hmm. But they've come through and it's just telepathic at this point, isn't it? I mean, you see it in club football a lot, but it, that's what they've got going for them now, especially with De Bruyne. I mean, De Bruyne's performance the other day was ridiculous yeah silly it was silly, it was silly yeah and speaking of good connections they've got two brothers teaming up on the other side <laughs> literally <laughs> apparently they grew up together as well yeah. you'd never Is that have thought how it, it works you'd yeah. never have thought it they um, are actually telepathic so there's belgium in second and that leaves us with one more uh first place and Look, you know it by now. They're the only team we haven't mentioned. And it's also a team that we happen to mention all the time on all the other podcasts that we do. It is the phenomenal Italy who have blown me away. They really have. Uh, an element of this is is based in, in the joy, I feel, when I watch Italy play football. But there are sort of similarities to Belgium in, in the way that they're so relentless and the way that they attack and attack and attack. And they're so confident in their own ability and they absolutely will not take no for an answer. They just keep going. I absolutely love that about them. And they're a team that probably gets better as well because the third game saw us, well, they saw Verratti come in for the first game of his tournament and he absolutely was spellbinding. He was he was enchanting. He was wonderful. And now Italy probably get to put Verratti into a team that had already just totally wiped a couple of other teams away. 3-0, 3-0, just brilliant. What, what an amazing opener to the tournament this was when they beat Turkey. Then they wiped the floor with Switzerland. They batted Italy, only won 1-0, but no one knows how. Every member of this team has played football except for the third choice goalkeeper. This is a really happy camp. This has been one of the great stories of the group stage and the performances have just been absolutely stunning. Yeah, completely agree. Um, I mean, Dean, we've all been just completely in love with them, haven't we? Literally, obviously, they were the first game of this tournament. They played against Turkey. Turkey were aside. A lot of people were tipped to be dark horses. Italy, we thought, were also going to have a deep run. And we were like, okay... Uh, whoever wins this game will probably win the group. And, well, it, it just it set the tone for both of them, really, didn't it? Turkey could never recover. And Italy, it did give them the confidence. But if you think back to the first 45 minutes of that game and how stubborn Turkey were and how they just built that wall across and, and just tried to make it impossible and almost play for a nil-nil. And Italy just were relentless. They were not going to let that happen. They kept going. They kept going. And they got the breakthrough. And then once it opened up, they went and they got their other goals. And, and then Immobile started to get his confidence. And then the others started to come in as well. And do you know what? Like, I don't really see any frailties in this team. 
yeah, I don't know I where think, they are. I think there's a, there's a definitely a difference for me in the performance levels between say Italy and, and the and the Netherlands yeah. in terms of like how how they actually defend those really difficult situations, how you defend transitions, how you press. I think Italy are much more coordinated um, than the Dutch are in that respect, and that's why I sort of I have far fewer worries about Italy. Like they drew Austria in the round of 16. I have no concerns over that game whatsoever. And moving deeper into the tournament, if possible, like if they just go from strength to strength, we'll see. But they feel like uh, the performances feel complete um, in a way that the Dutch performances don't and the Belgian performances don't. Like th- yeah. there have been no problems or weaknesses at all. Or n- no, no, not a negative. Their biggest problem is how do they get Verratti into the team? <laughs> That's their biggest problem. It, but this is a point, right? So like the, the Italy rotated so heavily for that Wales game because they can like, and because it doesn't make a difference. The team plays exactly the same way, no matter who's been brought into it. Now we said on Tuesday, Sam, that the, the potential only downside of that is maybe a, a good side can learn how to read Italy and, and, and try and pick them off from that point. But I just don't see a way of shutting this side down. There's too many attacking options. There's too many pivots that they can kind of jump off to make things happen. And I think this is exactly spot on. I think Italy have been the best team at the tournament by some way. At, what are you saying, Jack? Do you think Italy are going to beat England in the final? I think Italy are going to win this tournament, yeah. Wow, you think they're going to beat England in the final? Yeah, I, I, I think Italy are going to beat this tournament. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, um, no, it's look, just you've a been, good side. You've been super consistent on that. You've been you've been calling them contenders since before the tournament. I'll give you your props, actually, on Thanks, that. Mate. Well done. Appreciate it. Thank, Thank you. you. It kind of covers my uh, turkey dark horses shout. Mm. Um, I mean, they are on a 32-game unbeaten run or whatever it is. Yeah, but no one knew that until I told you all. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's true. Well, that's my one to sixteen. Very good. Nice. Sam. Very yeah. good. I think you almost got that right. Well done. That was yeah, good. Yeah, I, I don't think that's miles off. No, I think it's miles off. I think Spain are a bit high. I think it's, uh, England are a bit low. Yeah. Wait right. till we put up put the graphic up um, tomorrow, and then we'll see if Twitter agrees with you, shall we? Yeah, well, I'm sure there's. Go back a... to the old days. Yeah, we'll see how we, we get go. trolled we'll for a see day. See how we go. Um, right, Make sure those Welsh people grab hold of you. <laughs> <laughs> when the Welsh, when the Welsh Union tweet, tweets it, you're going to be in serious trouble <laughs> in the valleys. Sam is now banned from the valleys. Right after the break, let's talk about quickly our biggest disappointments because we don't want to dwell on the negatives too much. And then the games we're most looking forward to in the round of sixteen. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Ranks FC. I'm Jack Collins. I'm joined by Sam Tai, Elimates, and Dean Jones. Mate. Hello, boys. Um, right, let's quickly talk about the negatives. Uh, and the, there's been three teams, I think, who stand out as underperforming. Obviously, eight teams have gone home. Um, but I think there really are three that, that stand out as, as people we looked at as not maybe sides that could all cause trouble, but who we thought would perform better than they did. Um, and we'll start at number three with Russia. Now, I don't think Russia we were expecting to to go deep into this tournament. We weren't really sure what Russia were, to be honest. We weren't sure how they were going to play. We I'm assumed... Still, I'm, sure, I'm still not sure. Well, this is the problem. Three games later, I still have no idea what Russia's identity is aside. Considering they played games at home with a, you know, a friendly crowd, yes, the group was a little bit tricky in some ways. Um, but this felt like an opportunity for them to progress to to kick on to to prove that what happened at their home world cup in 2018 was no mere fluke um and they have absolutely flunked that opportunity um 
And I think the biggest disappointment is that thing we said at the top is that we are no closer to understanding what Russia are as a football team. We don't know what they bring to the table, apart from sometimes they give it long to the big man, Artem Zuba, and occasionally Golovin does something of note. Like That is all I've got from Russia. Yeah, I, mean, I don't have much more. Um, Diveyev was all right at centre-back at times. Yeah. What, 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 I don't know what else to say. I mean, it's such a higgledy-piggledy squad, such a random assortment of players. I mean, the first game kicked off, they had Yuri Zerkov on the pitch. What? Still, he's, it's he's really as old as to stop, lads. He's as old as Dean Jones. It's ridiculous. <laughs> he shouldn't be allowed anywhere near a football pitch at this mm. point. But yeah, really weird, really bad performances. I mean, they got absolutely tonked by Belgium and then they got tonked by Denmark. I don't think any other teams really got absolutely hammered twice in two games. That is a really, and at home, that is a real achievement. Yeah, it was, it was, it was just bad, bad, bad all round, bad blood. Mm. Um, it felt bad. Uh, and number two, I have Poland, um, who I kind of, I think we talked about them and Sweden as the, the teams in this group that would tussle for second place, right? We, we, we thought this was a straight two horse fight behind Spain. Now, obviously, this group didn't pan out kind of as anyone thought it might. It, it panned out in a really weird way. But Poland from the get go just felt like they were just off it. And we talked, Dean, about them switching managers. We talked about the Lewandowski wanting them to, you know, to bring in Paolo Sosa in order to try and change them into a more attacking unit. None of it has worked. They have looked devoid of really any cohesion for the entire tournament. And from the moment that they went behind to Slovakia, you were like, oh, Poland could be in real trouble here. Yeah, I mean, the only positive is that Lewandowski's got a few goals. Um, and he really, in that last game, <laughs> took it to, into his own hands, didn't he? I mean, it's just ridiculous, uh, the, just the goals that he scored. But it was it was poor and it, it was not expected at all. I mean, from the first game, um, there was just everything missing. And obviously, Krakowiak getting a red card and for two silly things, really, couldn't really complain about it. And He'd had a poor game before that as well. And he was one of the key men that they needed to perform well in this tournament, I think, to, to do well. Um, and it all kind of unraveled for them in that game. Look, they played against the Slovakia team. Where I think a lot of people probably um, didn't respect enough anyway. Um, we, in that first game, you don't really know what you're getting from each nation. And I think that was probably, they were a surprise, but still Poland should have got out of that group. Definitely. Like, yeah. they should have got out of that group. Well, there was serious uh, well, talent in this so, squad. So, I thought the writing was definitely obviously on the wall as soon as you lose that opening game against the de facto weakest side. I'm not actually that disappointed in Poland because I didn't, I've never, I've just haven't seen Poland put it together in the last eight years of the way they should. I didn't mm. expect that much of them. That said, they finished below Slovakia in the group and they only got one point. That is obviously a massive disappointment for a team with, all right. No cohesion, as you say, Jack, but enough quality in there to do better than than this. There's a lot of good players in here. Like, obviously, you can you can discuss Lewandowski and, and Zielinski and and the kind of big names, but even you know, you, you go through the side and Carolinetti's at Torino, you know, Mateus Clicks at Leeds, Jakob Modders at Brighton. Sure, he doesn't play that much, but you know, this is a team with players who have played across Europe. You know, this is Juventus's so... goalkeeper. Yeah, absolutely. It's just it's just a side that should be better than it is. And I don't understand 
why nobody seems to be able to pull it together. But maybe you don't change a coach, you know, three months before a tournament. Maybe that's the uh, the lessons to be learned from this. So, uh, mm. so look, we'll, we'll move on. Um, and everybody's top disappointment, I think, is is Turkey. Um, they were they were roasted, so mate. good, so good Plucked, in qualifying, but. Very good, yes, very good. They were so good in qualifying. Oh. They were so good in in the World Cup qualifiers in March. They strangled teams. They had Devoured. real. <laughs> I really want to really want to hit you both. And um, <laughs> they strangled teams. They had real cohesion. They felt like a unit. It felt like the only problem they had was working out who played at centre back because they had slightly too many good ones. And and for them to just come out of that first game and never recover is really quite bleak um it just it never felt like turkey had any intensity whatsoever in the tournament there was no point where i was like right they're gonna they're gonna really kind of come together here and put the pressure on they're gonna they're gonna give your yilmat some serious service the center midfield pairings were all over the place they couldn't find any sort of pivots that worked everything that was good about turkey everything about their kind of structure and ability to play as a unit that was so good even back in March in those three World Cup qualifiers just absolutely disintegrated on that Italian bombardment and never came back and that is just not good enough for a side who were this good in qualifying. I saw I saw an interesting tweet uh, from a Turkish journalist to say that on the day I think of their their third defeat that 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 marks their 31st day together as a group as in like as in the preparation period together for Euro 2020 and through the tournament. That's a long time. It, that that struck me as like too long. Like like, did they get into camp two and a half weeks before? That's I just thought that was a bit odd. And the question was raised: Are they just jaded? Has this been? Has this experience drained them because of the COVID measurements and the bubbles and the restrictions? Thirty-one days in a scenario like that is that has that been? Look, we're not we're not. <laughs> We're not exonerating the players, yeah. you know. We're not exonerating the players. Oh, it's 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 not your fault. You were put into a camp for too long. But like, I don't know. Like, is there a failing on that part? It doesn't explain the midfield pivot. Doesn't explain the inability to progress the ball. Can't dribble. Can't pass. Can't do anything. Um, but yeah, fitness looked a problem. Like Yukushlu could only play forty-five minutes of football. There were forty-five very good minutes. But after mm. that, he was done. I think Turkish fans are so annoyed at this, like so angry. Like they want the coach to resign. He's refusing. Um, they feel like they the players weren't playing for him. And whatever way you look at it, this was one of the most talented teams they've ever taken into a tournament. They were the worst team at Euro 2020. They were like the, were. the stats oh, are all there. And it's not good enough and like you should probably lose your job after a tournament like that. And there's a lot of anger right now. I've been reading um, that nothing's going to change and that the same players will have the same entitlement and the coach will just carry on and the thing goes round and around again. And, you know, people, it's such a passionate place when it comes to football. You've only got to watch the domestic league to see like how much football means to these people. So imagine when it comes to when it's your national team, they are desperate to like make their mark and they thought that this might be the year. So to end it like this, is just an absolute farce. Yeah, yeah, really bleak. Um, and so sorry to any Turkish fans who, who had to put up with that. Cheer up, lads. I understand international pain. 
much better than these two do. Um, and I know, I know. I've experienced it. Won so many tournaments. I, I know what it's like to be knocked out in a group stage when you only score one goal in the tournament and that goal is from Sean St. Ledger. Um, so, you know, it's a, it's a pain that I, I know well. Did he score for Turkey as well then? Yeah, he also scored for Turkey. <laughs> he scored uh, their he, goal. He's the guy. Yeah. So, um, yeah, exactly. Nice um, one, Sean. Okay. Well, let's move on to the round of 16 uh, and talk about some of our our favorite ties from this very quickly um because this is a tasty little draw i'll run through it quickly belgium versus portugal italy versus austria france versus switzerland and croatia versus spain on one side of the bracket and then on the other sweden versus ukraine england versus germany netherlands versus the czech republic and wales versus denmark and um, dean i'm going to come to you first to, to pick one of these games because i have a funny feeling i know where you're going coming home mate it is coming home We've, this is basically the final. Germany's the final because from there it's all very straightforward. The way that our our, our roads to the, to the glory opens up. Oh, just um, the Netherlands, no bother. The most annoying thing about England Germany is that it's on a Tuesday at five o'clock. I don't like that kickoff time at all. It's really annoying. No, the most annoying thing about that game is we're going to lose on penalties. Oh, don't! They've already been practicing penalties tonight. <laughs> Look for England. This is. This is it now. It's it's basically all in the head. This is where this because you know when you look at the squads, when you look at like what they're capable of. Germany have got a decent team on paper, but I would expect England to progress. I do think that we've got a better team than Germany, but I don't think we've got the mentality, and that's that's what it's going to come down to. I'm not saying we're going to lose, but that's where this game will be won and lost for me. And I just hope that this England batch are able to just focus on their jobs. And, you know, the, the one thing going for them is that the way that they have got through the group so far with these, you know, very economical performances and everybody being very sure of their jobs, that's how you will actually get through this fixture. So it's all about sticking to your roles, not trying anything outlandish, getting the job done. Everything we've done so far actually suits this game. So I hope we can actually pull it off when it actually matters. Um, I think we're in a reasonably good place. I think that Southgate has got them quite grounded. Um, I think it's interesting that obviously Germany will play with the three at the back and two wing backs. Wouldn't surprise me if England copy them. That's what I'm that's really what I think a lot of the build-up will turn to and what of the a lot of the narrative will be now. What will Southgate do here? Because we haven't played a team like Germany so far in this tournament. Um, they've got a lot of options. Um, up front and their movement, I think I think it'll be very tempting to go with Stones, Maguire and Tyrone Mings for this game and and go from there. And then I guess it'll also be Rice and Phillips in front of them. And then you really will be relying on the wingbacks to, to be your outlet, as Germany will be. You know, the, the wingbacks is going to be such a key area in this game. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, obviously dreading are, it as are well. you yeah <laughs> yeah i mean it, this is what it's about right like this is why you go into these tournaments like you want these fixtures like it's all part of it um the heartbreak is is part of what comes with it if that's what happens then fine but you live in hope that you get the joy and you know for england they do have an you know if they get through this they get sweden or ukraine in the next round i'm not saying that we will definitely beat both of those teams but it's a nice 
prize to have a quarterfinal against Sweden or Ukraine. You want that ahead of France, don't you? Like that that's that's the truth of it. That's I, I it. I think it's it's quite key. I think there's two points you just made there, Dean, that are the, the massive things here. And I saw a tweet, I've read it out to Sam before. It was for a guy called Joe Walker. He said, Germany are one of the last teams I wanted to play, uh, especially at Wembley. It's a one-sided rivalry. And as bad as Germany have been at times, it's only England that are likely to play the occasion. But the week of nonsense that the press are about to deliver is is absolutely beyond the pro. It's like Spitfires on the front page, Spirit of 66, exercising the ghosts of 96 at Wembley's talk of finals and semis that the Germans have long moved on from. All the pressure is on England. And I do think that is a point. Yeah, I mean, don't forget, Gareth Southgate is the man that missed the penalty against Germany at Euro 96. Like, that is the first headline. That is the first thing Southgate is going to be talking about. It's all going to be about penalties and mentality and can we, you know, exercise these demons? It is a genuine issue. I mean, obviously, a lot of our listeners are from outside of, of England and I will be aware of this rivalry with Germany that exists, but it's everything to us. It really is. Like, England-Germany means more to pretty much every England fan than any fixture. Like, the Scotland game was big, Germany's bigger. Like, for all of my friends I've grown up with, like, we've been through some tough times but then also one of the best times I remember when we beat Germany 5-1 and being in Trafalgar Square dancing on the Lions like <laughs> when it goes well it goes amazingly well and like you never forget it so this is what is in these players hands and this is why you want to be professional footballers this is why you want to play for your country because you get the opportunity to be that hero and to be the man that is remembered forever by generations and that's what these tournaments are all about and at a time when i know a lot of people you know general in public are angry that this tournament's even happening and that fans can mingle and they'll get very wound up about some of the scenes that they're going to see over the next couple of weeks when the jubilation is hits new levels but for so many people, like this is your outlet, right? Yeah, this yeah. is your joy. And that's this is all part of life as well. Yeah, for sure. Sam, I wanted to take it on to you, the other point there about wingbacks um, and about the fact that we saw Hungary tonight go man for man with the German wingbacks and, and shut down that threat. We saw Portugal go narrower and get absolutely overrun by them. Do England have to go five at the back here? I would do it. Um, two reasons. One, tactically, it makes loads of sense. Two, we, we do have the personnel uh, to make this work. Dean, you mentioned the three centre-backs and I'd, probably, I'd say probably Carl Walker at right centre-back. Agreed. Um, mm, okay. Stone, Stones and Maguire and then use Rhys James as the right wing-back and, and ask him to do something something no. similar. To I, I, I just think Mings has done pretty well and that's why he might stick with him because he's quite yeah. loyal. Oh, of course. Absolutely. I mean, the thing is with Mings, he has to play on the left and then, yeah, no, I know, yeah. and then that means that you're not quite getting Maguire's passing range in the channel. So yeah. you might be moving Maguire into a position where defensively he'll be fine, but you might not get the payoff on the ball. So look, we'll see yeah. we'll, we'll have to see, but um, I'd be asking Reese James to do a right wing back role and do what he did to Sterling in the Champions League final, do it again um, and do it to Robin Gersens and see what happens. And there's no doubt about it, the personnel is there. I think Germany have a soft a soft centre. The cross Gundogan pivot is not very well protected and it doesn't protect, protect the slow defensive line. I think it can be got at. And if you play the ball carriers and the intricate midfielders and the powerful players that England have, we're talking different styles of players, but Calvin Phillips, Jack Grealish, Phil Foden, three players that I think could, could really damage that core then you're onto a, I think you're onto a good start. Now, look, Germany are a fantastically talented side and if they follow the pattern, Jack, that you portrayed earlier, they're due for a very, very good game. 
and uh, look, Kai Havertz and Thomas Muller's movements um, are incredibly difficult to track. And the reality is that on paper, these are the two by far strongest sides in the bottom half of the draw. England, Germany, Sweden, Ukraine, Netherlands, Czech Republic, Wales, Denmark. The winner of this game would expect to get to the final. And it's just that little obstacle for them both. And it happens to be steeped in history. It's such a fascinating fixture. I can't wait for it as well. I'm also completely and utterly terrified. We're the only team, I think, at home, aren't we, in this in this last 16? I think England are the only team that actually plays a home fixture. Yeah, because this was meant to be in Dublin. Um, and yeah. it's no longer been played in Dublin, which I think is a good thing for all people concerned, as far as as far as I'm aware. Um, because apart from people who sell Germany shirts in Ireland, they're the only people that have lost in this situation. <laughs> <laughs> right, I can Sam, a good laugh. That Sam, what's your uh, what's your take? Well, look, I'll go to the um, what what is to me clearly the most star-studded round of 16 game. The best one on paper is 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 going to be Belgium versus Portugal. That will be played in Seville. Uh, I think at it's at 4 p.m. I think it's a bit later. <laughs> Don't worry. I think it's the uh, the 9 p.m. local, um, 8 p.m. here. So uh, it won't be so hot in the Cartuja, but you, you don't really know. Um, Belgium, Portugal. Lukaku versus Ronaldo uh, for the golden boot as a as a side story. And the winner gets a place in the in the quarterfinal, potentially against Italy, which is another absolute blockbuster. Um very intrigued by this. We've talked about Belgium's attacking power, the way they can overwhelm teams. We've also highlighted a clear defensive frailty and the fact that Roberto Martinez doesn't actually do an awful lot to protect that defensive frailty or to nullify it or to help it. He just kind of opens it out and leaves it there for you to take advantage of if you can. And Belgium, I think, are more than happy to get into a scoring competition with anybody that they play because they back themselves to win it. And with De Bruyne and Hazard in form and Lukaku in the form that he's in, they're very good bets to to kind of outscore anybody. But if Portugal can produce something similar to what we saw against France and play with that combative edge and play much better on the ball, they can absolutely go toe-to-toe with Belgium here and they can hurt them in different areas. They'll, if they play the 4-3-3 like they did tonight, they'll have the man advantage in the middle. Tielemans and Witzel will play as a pair and we'll see a pretty physical Portugal three with Renato Sanchez probably back in again playing. I mean, Jota and Silva, if they can turn up, they can they can absolutely hurt the outside of these centre-backs. Ronaldo running through the middle. We know that these guys at the backs are Toby Alderweireld and, and Jan Vertonghen and Thomas Vermaal and whoever plays. They're not the fastest anymore. Like, they are susceptible to the counter-attack. They are going to be opened up to that counter. On paper, I see a lot of ways in which Portugal can win. I really do. And yet, we also know that Belgium, one combination and you're done. You're dusted. And they can do it two or three times a game. So it's such an interestingly poised tie for me. And I know why Dean didn't pick this one because he's biased, but this is the best tie of the round, no doubt. Yeah, I think that's probably fair enough, mate. It's um, it's a strange one, isn't it? Because it, it feels really harsh that Belgium have won their group unbeaten and drawn the holders in the round of 16, doesn't it? Yeah. Like, it's just, we must be looking at it and be like, you sure? Like, really? Like, this is what you've given us? Um, but I think both sides can can look at this and go, yeah. We can, we, there is definitely elements of us being able to get the better of them. I think Belgium will fancy it as the kind of momentum side, but but for sure, this looks like like something they could think. I'm going to take us across uh, the draw. Obviously, what I'm going to do is do that thing I talk about where I talk about all the other games I, would like, I like before uh, the one I'm actually going to talk about. <laughs> I like Croatia, Spain in Copenhagen. I like that with the, uh, the old midfield matchups there of, of Croatia's old guard versus Spain's 
emerging, shall we say, um, and, and and what's going on there with Pedri. I'm, I'm really intrigued to see Pedri play Brozovic, really. Um, so that's... Danny Olmo up against all the old Zagreb boys. Exactly. Um, I like the blue and yellow derby between Sweden and Ukraine because I feel like that can go anywhere. Um, but the game I'm going to pick is Wales-Denmark, uh, which is the bottom game of the draw, as I'm looking at it. Um, now, this is kind of narrativefc.com isn't it like this is the side last time who kind of captured everybody's hearts by by driving to the semi-finals in a way that no one could have ever expected who rely so much on team spirit and ethic and and the way that they can kind of bond as a group um you know and then it all goes back to, to the late great gary speed and and what he brings in in wales and and, and it's a team that i think are very difficult to write off because of that that work ethic because of that bond and then, uh, even in the Italy game where they got battered you know and they did they worked incredibly hard to 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 not get absolutely hammered and then probably should have equalized you know and the, uh, the absolute death in Gareth Bale and you're going how are you still in this game like what is going on <laughs> and it, it might be profligate finishing it might be whatever but Wales just don't seem to know when they're beaten and I think that's a I think that's a kind of important point to make at, at this point because. They, they will come and they will play and they will look at it, but they come up against this year's narrative storyline in, in Denmark who have absolutely torn through Russia in the last game to get there. They feel fueled by the whole emotion of it all and it all feels so intense at the moment around Denmark. But then you actually look at the players playing here and you look at Joachim Mailer, you look at the likes of uh, of Damsgord and, and what's actually happening in this Denmark team and the kind of old core with this new sprinkling of talent around it. And you're thinking, yeah, very, very nice. This is actually a very well-balanced side. They know exactly how to play and they will get at Wales, I think. They're going to, I think they tear through Wales here, but but not in a way that ends 5-0, in a way that ends 2-1, but it ends. it's going to be like an absolute pile driver of a game, I think, that Wales nick a goal and, and Denmark come roaring at them. Bear in mind, it's also in Amsterdam. Uh, at the moment, you can't travel to Amsterdam unless you have a Dutch link or you're going for work from the UK. So I don't think there's going to be many Wales fans there. I'd imagine the neutrals will be very much aligned with Denmark, and I think you can drive from Denmark to the yeah, Netherlands, the transport okay. is actually quite okay. Yeah, yeah. There's actually a loop, there's actually a loophole that I was reading about that a Denmark fans have found out that it's something like a 12-hour loophole, and as if you can get in and out quick enough, then you don't have to quarantine. And so they do think that a lot of Denmark fans are going to manage to make the drive and get in and out in time, there will be no Wales fans at this game. Yeah, well, this is it, right? Because you were talking Everyone about... is going to support them. How, how tight is this going to be? How... Are, they going to, are they going to go to extra time and they're going to be going, hang on a minute? Oh, yeah, genuinely, got... that might happen, yeah. That, no one watches the penalty <laughs> shootouts <laughs> at all. Like, they're running for, running for their cars they're out of the quarantine. Yeah, but it is one of those things that you look at and you think, and you spoke about it earlier, Dean, about the, the crowd and the, the element of all of that that felt so kind of on Denmark's side on Monday's game. Yeah. Well, I think we could have this again. I think we could have this again. And that makes it incredibly special. True. But then Wales had that already in the Turkey game, didn't they? The entire stadium was against them for that game. I think they had about 300 fans there yeah. um, and they won 2-0. Yeah. So... Mm -hmm. So and they get the, to wear that Australia kit again. Yes. So um, they'll be they'll be delighted. <laughs> so they've been through that experience already. I'm definitely not writing Wales off here because I, you know, I was I've listened to a lot of 
Welsh interviews and you know commentaries and stuff throughout the tournament so far and there's no doubt that that squad is better bonded pretty much than anyone else but possibly not better than Denmark right now because of what they're going through like it's probably the only only team they could face that has a better bond a closer bond right now than Wales so yeah very intriguing tie that is very me very heart on the sleeve very narrative driven very very yeah and also like you know for for these for Denmark especially um because I don't you know I don't think Wales could go that deep but you know the winner of this game plays Netherlands v Czech and then you're like looking at a semi-final because you know Denmark could look at that we're as good as Netherlands like and I think they are. So, yeah, a nice path again because they're on the other side of the draw. So, um, yeah, Denmark, I think. it could. We could have that fairy tale story yet. The, ni- the, nice, thing about the, this, the nice thing about this if it, is if Denmark win, the fairy tale continues. And if Wales beat Denmark, it's probably because Gareth Bale pings one in from 20 yards and everyone goes, that's good, isn't it? No, Everyone's just going to be ages. like, it, it will be f- like, whatever happens, you'll be happy. Yeah, but I mean... Yeah, Bale has not scored in 14 matches. He's due a goal. He's he due, due a goal. goal. He's due a goal, Dean. Um, you, as you gave him two out of ten against Italy. Do you see that? It oh seems a God. bit harsh, but the keep are famous for harsh ratings. Um, <laughs> look, all eight of these ties uh, are, are gonna we're gonna be glued to, and we're all excited about. And, and look, we'll be back next week to to talk about all eight of them. And it seems mad that we will literally be sat here in six days time having the same discussion about what was going on in the in the round of 16 and what's kicking into the the, the quarters and semis so this is a, a good stage of tournament it starts to get a bit tasty here yep it does yeah. indeed we got a taste of that didn't we of those those final few games and that group of death that's given us a real taste of what's to come it's kicked us on hasn't it and uh, yeah. I, I do think it's probably though boys about time that we called this a day yeah uh, i've got to get up in about three hours mate so that'd be andy it's also a full 90 minute pod we, we started to get uh, we started to make a habit of doing these yeah, um, going to injury time absolutely but all there's left for me to do is say thank you very much sam tai Cheers, buddy. Thank you very much to Dean Jones. Cheers, mate. Uh, I've been Jack Collins. This has been Ranks FC. Thank you so much for tuning in. As I said, we'll be back at a normal scheduling next week. We'll be dropping on a Wednesday morning rather than a Thursday morning. Uh, We're also dropping on Friday and Monday on Patreon. If you want to get over there and join us, the link is in the description. Uh, We think it's worth it. We'll be talking about some transfers, some Copper America, or a little bit of the other stuff uh, over on Patreon. So if you fancy it, come and get involved. Thank you for listening, gang. We'll see you soon. Peace.